had asked where you're coming in from. I see that we have Croatia, Philadelphia. I'm actually in Honolulu right now. And so I know, Rick, you're joining us from Washington. So we, I just wanted to say first and foremost, thank you so much for being here with us today. And my name is Amanda Kanar. I'll be your host for this evening and welcome to the June 15th edition of the Global Dialogue. This is the International Affairs Council program. Um, and before we get into everything, Rick, uh, would you like to start? I think you have a little video queued up for us. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you very much, Amanda. It's great to be with you. Uh, this is just a, a wonderful uh, use of technology, I would say. And I thought uh, I love the mission of the World Affairs Council. Uh, here in Seattle, we have a very, uh, a very busy World Affairs Council doing wonderful work. And we've all got the same mission of just better understanding our world and working together. One thing great about travel is it connects us. And uh, the only thing I've produced as a TV producer since COVID hit is a show called Why We Travel. And it's like a love note to travel. I had such a lovely time writing this show. And then we have uh, cobbled together our most favorite moments in our travels. And I uh, had to film the, the opening on camera, which you'll see was on campus at the University of Washington here in Seattle. And the uh, close was uh, on my deck right here overlooking Puget Sound. But this is just the last three or four minutes of this show. And it talks about why we travel. And uh, I'd love to uh, share this just so that uh, together we can sort of get in the mood about the importance of the mission of the World Affairs Council. And uh, let me just take you there right now. By traveling thoughtfully, we connect. Even for those of us who can only travel as a state of mind, travel can result in a deeper connection. Travel connects us face to face with reality. It's not virtual. It's not through a viewfinder. Travel is candid, honest, being in the moment. Thank you. In a world hungry for authenticity, we yearn for connection. And now she's quite big. She's like you, about like that, yeah. Travelers connect with different cultures, different people. On the road, strangers are just friends we've yet to meet. Travel frees us from routine. It creates room for serendipity. Okay, so now I'm ready to be a shepherd. This is serendipity leads to connections. Travel forces us to bend and to flex. It makes us more tolerant and inspires us to celebrate diversity. The lessons I've gained from exploring Europe, the land of my heritage, are universal. For me, these lessons are affirmed and then stretched when traveling further afield. As a child ventures beyond his backyard, I ventured beyond Europe. Year after year, I pushed my boundaries. The world opened wide with a montage of wonders and lessons learned. Traveling beyond my comfort zone, culture shock became constructive. The growing pains of a broadening perspective, my ethnocentrism challenged. The celebration of difference and oneness at the same time. The recognition that love is love in their home, just as in mine. I think this is a beautiful, beautiful welcome here. Through travel, we see a world filled with joy, with compassion, and with good people. 
We learn the more we reach out, the more we receive. We learn that we all share the same world. Nice. And we all share the same window of time. Travelers seek bridges rather than walls. Every wall has two sides and two narratives. For one to be truly understood, both must be heard. Traveling, we realize the challenges of our future will be blind to borders and best overcome not by conflict and walls, but by community and bridges. There's so much fear these days. The flip side of fear, it's understanding. And we gain understanding when we travel. Travel is more than a holiday. It gives us new experiences, acts as our greatest teacher, makes our lives more meaningful, and connects us with a global family. We can't all travel physically, but anyone can live with a traveler's mindset. It's a choice. Travel makes us more comfortable with the world, our hearts bigger, and our lives richer. And it makes us happier. And that is why we travel. And that is why I'm happy to be here today and celebrate the value of travel and getting to know our world. I'm so glad that you played that video because the, for those of you who don't know, the World Affairs Council mission is to promote international awareness and understanding and connections to enhance regional uh, global stature and to prepare uh, for Nashville and for the Tennessee World Affairs Council, specifically Tennessee, Tennesseans, to thrive in an increasingly complex and connected world. So uh, everything you mentioned in the video just hits really uh, close to our mission. And we are also partnering with the um, Philadelphia World Affairs Chamber today, who does a lot of uh, trips as well. So if anyone of the uh, audience attendees want to give them a look on their website, you can uh, research the Tennessee World Affairs Council as well. So Rick, uh, what I'd love to do to start is just hear a little bit about your background. I know that you have been traveling for a while, around like 45 years, I'd say. So I'd love to hear how you caught the bug and uh, how you became a leading American travel authority, especially within Europe. Well, I, you know, I would never have traveled had not my parents dragged me to Europe when I was 14 years old. Before that, my whole life was uh, camping up in the Cascade Mountains and boating up in the San Juans here in Washington State. And uh, every, every Friday after school, my parents would pick me up. And if it was good weather, we'd go boating. If it was bad weather, we'd go east to the mountains where it was always sunny. And, uh, uh, but it just happened. My dad was a piano tuner and he started importing pianos from Germany. And I remember one day he said, son, we're going to Germany to see the piano factories. And I thought, dad, that's a stupid idea. Uh, but we got over there and it was great. And uh, we visited relatives up in Norway and I realized, boy, this world's an exciting place to explore. Uh, and ever since then, I've been traveling. At first I traveled just for kicks. And then I realized I was becoming a good traveler just because I was paying attention and learning from my mistakes. And I was on a very tight budget. So I was learning all these budget tricks. And uh, it occurred to me, other people were making the same mistakes I had made. So I thought, mm -hmm. boy, if I could just package the lessons I've learned from my experience into a guidebook or a talk or something like that, other people could learn from my mistakes and I'd have a good excuse to go back to Europe every year and update my material. And that's what I've been doing. Uh, you know, that was when I was uh, 
that was back in the 70s. And I've been spending 100 days a year in Europe every year until this COVID time. And uh, I, uh, I'm teaching the same thing. But now I've got technology beyond my wildest dreams to amplify my ideas. And I've got a wonderful staff of 100 people right here in Seattle. And um, we're all just um, working hard to help equip and inspire Americans to, like we like to say, venture beyond Orlando. Yeah, oh, that's fair. That's fair. There's uh, only, Amanda, there's only one guidebook in the United States that outsells the Rick Steves Italy guidebook. And it's the guidebook to Disney World. So that's Disney a World? huge, it's a huge market. But that's, you I know, mean, and I, I, I won't, I won't say anything <laughs> negative about the, the Epcot's uh, tour around the world. That, that's definitely oh, dipping your toes good. into the water of traveling. Oh, <laughs> no, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't say anything negative about it. All. I just would say if you've been to Disney World three or four times and you've yet to get a passport and leave our country, there is more to life than going back and back and I'm back. I'm going to record this session and share it with my, <laughs> my sister. <laughs> yeah. But uh, <laughs> speaking of the uh, pandemic impact, and uh, especially on travel, we're about 16 months in, and I know that it's obviously affected you personally, your business, and also the entire industry. So I'm just curious um, on your thoughts on the impact that it's had in those categories, on you personally, on the Rick Steves uh, yeah. business front, and then also the travel industry more, more generally. Oh yeah, well, it's been devastating. I mean, there's nobody, international travel, there's nothing. Uh, you know, I, I've written uh, 50 guidebooks about traveling in Europe and I'm sort of a very important part of my publisher's uh, catalog. And uh, my books have helped bring along a lot of other books, but for these last two years, the other books are bringing along my books right now because my books are not selling. You know, the only travel books that are selling now are road tripping around the United States or something like that. But who's going to buy my guidebook to Berlin when you can't fly there? Um, but that's going to change, of course. But uh, to the impact on me, well, from a business it was point of view, it was pretty devastating. I mean, 2019 was our best year ever. I've been just doing the same thing all my life. And we took 30,000 Americans on 1,200 tours around Europe in 2019. Wow. We were just, it was fantastic. My guidebooks were 20, I think my publisher showed me the list, 25 out of the top 30 selling guidebooks in the United States had Rick Steves on the cover, you know. And uh, I, I had, I'm right here in my living room. I had a hundred of our European guides in my living room in February of 2020. Uh, we were gonna have our best year ever. We were all, almost sold out on our tours and uh, we just, euphoric and then we all flew home and COVID hit right here 10 miles from my house was that senior center that old folks home in Kirkland and that's uh and it just shut everything down so we had to I had 24,000 people signed up for tours in 2020 I sent I had to send back 24,000 deposits and um you know it's no fun from a business point of view but uh what really broke my heart was all those travel dreams that were just dashed and um now you know, I've got 100 people on my payroll I have for a year and a half with no revenue. So that's very difficult. Um, but I've been your employees, correct? Yeah, we've I've just thought it was the ethical thing to do to keep my employees employed. Um, you know, we've, uh, we've uh, trimmed the sales a little bit, we're all okay. having some furlough days and so on, but everybody's got their health care. And um, we're investing in what we can. I'm I'm, uh, I've got a lot of people without enough work to do to fill their hours. So what we've done is create a volunteer corps, the Rick Steves Volunteer Corps, and we're volunteering 400 hours a week in our community uh, to help uh, food banks and Meals on Wheels and check in on seniors and clean up the parks and all this kind of stuff. That's but incredible. what COVID has taught me is 
you know, it's 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 God's way of saying to slow down for for me. It's uh, it's it's therapy for a workaholic. It's uh, <laughs> yeah. a very vivid and uh, the definite reminder that there's more to life than increasing its speed. Because all I was doing for year after year was increasing its speed. Mm -hmm. So this year, this last year, I've learned how to cook. I've, I've walked dogs. I've, I've got a hummingbird feeder. My, 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 my kids don't recognize me hardly. I'm doing things that are normal. And, right. uh, but uh, I'm sitting here in this bluff looking out over my community. And it is so clear to me that uh, I'm a privileged guy who has a great job. I can work at home. I've got, I was blessed with a beautiful education and so on. And there's a lot of uh, frustration and a lot of fear and a lot of, um, sadness in our community and a lot of um, a gap between the privileged and those who are not. So I'm, I'm reminded that what we need to do now is make sure our community stays together. Uh, we need to take care of our community. Uh, we've got to take care of our environment. For me, I've, I, I didn't really appreciate this like I have in the last year uh, because I've been sitting right here and every sunset is a devotional reminding me that our environment is fragile and, and we have to be good stewards of our environment. So it's been actually quite a nice time for me because I haven't been able to do the work I love so much. I know I'm going to get back there, but um, for me, COVID's been um, thought-provoking, and it's my hope that we can uh, come out of COVID um, with a few corona bonuses, and some of those would be, you know, the importance of good governance, uh, the importance of embracing science, the importance of uh, working with other nations, uh, the importance of... Um, taking care of the environment. Uh, I think that the realization that the, the challenges that will be confronting us in the future are going to be different than the challenges we grew up with. Yes. Um, I, I think that the future challenges for us here in this mighty nation of ours are going to be impervious to conventional military hardware, and they're going to be blind to walls. And uh, we're going to have to tackle them smartly and recognizing that we are 4% of this planet and there's 96% out there and we need to work together because I don't think solutions in the future are going to be win-lose. Up until now, it's been win-lose. We won the war, you lost the war. Great. Now it's got to be win-win. If we win the pandemic here and south of the border, they're still losing the pandemic. We haven't won it because it can sweep back in. So um, it's my hope that this will be Kind of a wake-up call for that and mm -hmm. uh in, in the sense of uh, the mission of you know the world affairs council and my mission as a travel teacher and a, and a and a tv producer and a tour guide the value of travel i think is just more important than ever we got to get to know our neighbors and uh i just love that the whole idea that travel you know gets us out of our comfort zone you you learn more about your home when you leave it and you look at it from a distance and I know a lot of people when they travel, they try to minimize culture shock as if culture shock's a bad thing. Right. I, I embrace culture shock. For me, culture shock is the growing pains of a broadening perspective. Yeah. And part of my, my work as a tour guide is to curate the culture shock. So it's not too much, but it is that broadening perspective. And that's why we travel. And when we travel thoughtfully and boldly, we come home with the most beautiful souvenir. And that is that broader perspective. I want to touch on the why it's going to be more important than ever. So you, I think in New York Times, Mag, in New York Times Magazine uh, profile, you, you said that, uh, I think it was, I think they said like, Rick Steve wants you to desperately leave 
America and that the tiniest bit of exposure in the outside world uh, will change your life entirely. Mm -hmm. And so assuming that I got right what the article read and that they got it right from what you had said to them, uh, I'm curious to uh, hear your view about travel in the world. So, so when you're talking about it being more important now than ever, you've touched on, on a few things and uh, some of the challenges that we're gonna be facing, but maybe if we could break it down to the top two to three, why, why is it more important now than ever? Well, first of all, when, when the New York Times said, I want everybody to leave America, not during COVID. I'm, sure. I'm, the, I'm the opposite of that during COVID. Just in general. But I think fear is a real problem, Amanda. Mm -hmm. And I've been teaching long enough to remember when Americans who were embarking on an international adventure were going to go fly away, their friends and loved ones would say, bon voyage. And I love that. Have a great trip. Guto reise. Happy travels. And now we are inclined to say, have a safe trip. And it just reminds me, we're fearful. It's, it's safer now to travel, apart from COVID, but in you know normal times, it's safer to travel now than any time in my life, statistically. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know statistics are optional these days, but if you really believe in statistics, you know it's safer to travel now than it was 30 or 40 years ago, period. Um, we just have lost a grip on, on how to assess risk, I think. And the irony is if we all stayed home because we thought it was dangerous out there, the world would become a more dangerous place. I mm -hmm. firmly believe that travel is a vital force for peace. Now, when it comes to fear, I've thought a lot about this lately, and I think fear is for people who don't get out very much. Uh, the flip side of fear is understanding, and we gain understanding when we travel. Now, if you think about fear, who are the most frightened people? They're probably people with no passports who don't know the world. And what is their understanding of the world shaped by? It's shaped by commercial news media, whichever station. I'm not, you know, there's any old station. It's going to shape your worldview. I would rather have my personal experience shape my worldview. When I was That's a kid... Yeah. When I was a kid, I went down to Central America to try to sort that out. It was just a mess. I didn't know the Contras and the Sandinistas and all that kind of stuff. My dad took me to the airport and he said, son, don't be duped. And I got down there and I realized my dad was royally duped. And it occurred to me when somebody says, have a safe trip, in a way they might be saying, don't screw up your preconceptions because that's going to that's going to wobble, that's going to wallop your, your confidence. I just love the thought that um, Thomas Jefferson said that travel makes a person wiser, if less happy. Mm -hmm. You become a little more troubled when you travel. It's hard to ignore the fact that half of humanity is trying to live on $5 a day. It'd be kind of nice to know that 10% of humanity is not in extreme poverty living on less than $2 a day. You know, it'd be nice to know that climate change is hurting people in the poor world more than it's hurting us. It'd be nice not to know that, but I don't want to go to my grave with a scrapbook full of photographs of me wearing an apron with my rich white friends having a nice barbecue and smiling and laughing with our Budweiser's. I want to be engaged. Mohammed said, don't tell me how educated you are. Tell me how much you've traveled. There's a lot of wisdom to that. 
you know, Muslims are supposed to go to Mecca once in their lifetime. Mm -hmm. What, what mo my, my progressive Muslim friends have told me their interpretation of that is Muhammad wanted people to get out of their community and travel and get to know the diversity on the planet. It, it, it's a very important thing. And again, that's related to the World Affairs Council mission, and it's my mission as a tour guide. It's interesting. I think most major religions that I can think of have a have a broadening perspective. Kind of, um, they they preach that the, the broadening of your perspective. Um, I think so. I, it kind of goes to the golden rule and love your neighbor yeah. and that sort of thing. And yeah. uh, you know, sometimes I do. I've got a talk I give all over the United States, and it's generally called uh, travel as a political act. And that mm -hmm. means broadening your perspective and coming mm -hmm. home with that best souvenir, which is a empathy for the other 96% of humanity. But a lot of times churches and uh, Christian colleges will uh, book me to visit their campus or their church and give that talk and I retool it. And I call it travel as a spiritual act or the road as church. I just uh, went to Yale Divinity School and offered a weekend seminar called the road as church. And when you, I happen to be Christian, but whatever religion you are, uh, it's, it's often the, the life lessons and the stories and the quests of people who are on the road. Mm -hmm. the, the, the Bible's filled with, with nomads and, and uh, you know, pilgrims and uh, missionaries and people on the road away from home, uh, exposed to the world. And uh, I, I, I love that notion of pilgrimage travel. I've never been a formal pilgrim, but I have a pilgrim's mindset a lot of times when I travel. And it doesn't mean you need to travel like a monk. I travel like a hedonist. I travel like an <laughs> art nut. I travel like a wine enthusiast. I mm -hmm. travel like a pilgrim. There's a lot of ways to travel. Uh, but uh, in, my, in that show I mentioned, we just saw the last three minutes of that show, uh, which by the way is called Why We Travel. And if anybody wants to see the whole thing, they can go to my website and just go to the TV section and watch any of our shows in their entirety for free. But the structure of that show, Amanda, is uh, there's three kinds of travelers. There's tourists, travelers, and pilgrims. And um, one's not right and one's not wrong. You can be a little bit of all of them. You know, the tourist is just uh, going over there and having fun. Uh, the traveler is traveling in a way where they learn about the rest of the world. And I think the pilgrim travels in a way where they learn more about themselves. Uh, that whole notion that when you leave home, you learn more about yourself and you learn more about your home. I just love that. Um, so it's, uh, it's up to the traveler how they want to calibrate that. But my idea of travel is just not, it's just not fun in the sun on the beach and, uh, you know, um, uh, casinos and shopping. Uh, that, that's a dimension of travel. But if that's all you're getting out of your travel, you're not having that option to have a transformative experience. Mm -hmm. Thoughtful travel transforms you. It changes you for the better. Um, and that, thing, yeah. to me, that's really important. Yeah, I, I'd also say, to add on to that, that sometimes the tourist can become an accidental traveler and a traveler can become an accidental pilgrim. For example, I'm, I'm visiting a friend in Waikiki Beach this week, so it's pretty serendipitous to be tuning in with a, a travel guru uh, while I'm myself traveling, and um, you know, just just looking at the poverty here uh, brings me to a different state, and then also mm. having a spiritual relationship with nature. It's uh, yeah, and I don't know if I came seeking that as much just to um, you know be excited to be vaccinated and meet some of my friends, but it. Yeah. It, it, I was open to it and it kind of came to me. So I think that happens as well.
I love that. And that <laughs> we need to be open for that. You know, um, just, I always say, you know, when you're traveling, if, if, a, if an opportunity for an experience presents itself, the answer is yes, I'm going to mm -hmm. go for that. I'm tired. I had something else planned, but this is really wild. It's positive serendipity. And a lot of that gets you more tuned into uh, thoughtful things and spiritual things and uh, uh, ethics uh, and economics and getting to know other people that have that who find different truths to be self-evident and God-given. Yeah. And that's that's a little bit challenging for a lot of people. There's a lot of people that would just rather not have to <laughs> Deal with <it>. eat with <laughs> somebody who finds different truths to be self-evident and God-given. But everybody has their self-evident and God-given truths, and they're not all the same. True. I think that most of our attendees can agree that you have had that it, well you've mentioned yourself even just reflecting within COVID that it's been a privilege and you know you're looking out over your deck and you're like wow it, it has been a privilege to have this life however humans are extremely adaptable and you can get used to just about anything good or bad and so I'm wondering how you've maintained the the I could imagine you going on a flight and without that core mission, that without that uh, need to help people understand and without, with, if you did have the ignorance of the 96% uh, of the world and you weren't concerned about that, I could see your career not, you not finding it as fulfilling because it's, oh, another place. Oh, I'm going to have to learn things from a language. So I, I'm curious if you think that COVID was also a reset button to, to say, oh, the, reflect on all the reasons why this is an incredible uh, opportunity for you as a human as well. I think it has been. In fact, writing that the script for that half hour show called Why We Travel was mm -hmm. uh, an uh, exercise in exactly what you're talking about. And I, I love that idea that, um, you know, if you let yourself be changed by your travels, you can. And, and it's a it's just a, a huge blessing. And a lot of people, they're frequent flyers, but they're the most ethnocentric, unadventurous <laughs> people you'd ever met. They brag about how many countries they've been to, mm -hmm. but how many people have they talked to? You know, How yes. many, how many um, preconceptions have they changed? Yeah. How many things they thought were gross and yucky did they actually eat and realize are not gross and yucky? Um, that's the fun thing. And you, you brought up a very interesting point of how Maybe if I didn't have my mission as a teacher, I would burn out. I'm 66 years old and I'm just ramping up and it's just so interesting. And I think a lot of it is because I have a mission in my work. I love, if somebody gave me an all expenses paid trip to a wonderful resort in Fiji right now, and I've never been to the South Pacific and I'd love to go there. And they said, it's 10 days, everything taken care of. Oh, God, that'd be so nice. But I think 10 days, I really need to get back to Ireland and update that book because thousands of people are using it. And I want to make sure that's the best book possible for all those American travelers. So I've got a mission and um, that lets me, I work hard when I'm over there and it's like breathing straight oxygen. It just gives me energy. And I'm kind of aware of that because I, I see a lot of people who, who weren't fortunate enough to find their niche and who don't believe that they're producing anything of, of any value in their work. They're just putting in time in order to pay their mortgage, you know, and uh, that would be a little more tough to keep a chipper attitude. But sure. for me, 
I, I'm, I've got a rolling classroom, a bus. I've got that microphone. I've got 25 people on the bus and we're going to have an adventure and we're all going to change and grow because of it. And it's going to be a good vacation at the same time. We're going to stand in front of Michelangelo's David and we're going to look into those 500 year old carved eyes. And we're going to be looking into the eyes of Renaissance man who is stepping out of the darkness of the middle ages and recognizing, yes, we can tackle these challenges because we are capable human beings. This is humanism. It's not a repudiation of God, but it's an understanding that the best way to glorify God from now on out is not to bow down in church all day long, but it's to recognize the talents God gave us and then to go out there and do things with all of that energy and those talents. And I just love that. And we can challenge each other to live more fulfilling and meaningful lives that way and be less fearful. One thing I've learned in my travels and I'm so committed to this idea, Amanda, that is that the world is filled with beautiful people. It's filled with love. It's filled with joy. And if you have not had the chance to go out there and experience that, you might be at home thinking more about building up walls to protect you from all those people who are different from us. That saddens me. It's so misguided. And it's mm -hmm. such a result of not reaching out, getting out of your comfort zone, hanging out with people who are different than us and realize, wow, that's really cool. I'm glad that I live in the United States. And when I go to the bathroom, I actually sit on stump something <laughs> instead of squat. And I'm glad I use spoons and forks. But I know that the norm on the planet is not to sit on a toilet. We're the odd ducks. I know that the norm on the planet is not to have spoons and forks. A third of humanity, as, I as a, a, a professor in Afghanistan taught me when I was a kid, he sat down next to me when I was having my lunch as a backpacker. And he said, are you an American? I said, yeah. And he said, well, I'm a professor here in Afghanistan and I want you to know that a third of the people on this planet eat with spoons and forks like you, a third of the planet eats with chopsticks and a third of the planet eats with their fingers like I do. And we're all civilized just the same. Mm -hmm. What a cool lesson that was. I love that. Now, and I just thought, first I thought, well, you got a chip on your shoulder, but then I realized he was right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought less of him because he ate with his fingers. And then for the rest of that trip through South Asia, I made a point to eat with my fingers. And I realized everybody could use a spoon or a fork if they want, but they would rather not stick a dirty metal utensil in their mouth when they're nourishing themselves. And God gave us these fingers for a reason, and that is to nourish ourselves. And it's a sort of a holistic thing. And it became so natural and so beautiful. I had to be retained, retrained when I got home. <laughs> to do it, but go back to, yeah, I can see you had like an apple bean in the US <laughs> at the Indian. Um, yeah. Oh, you did that. Did you just do the, what was this? I did the right hand. Yeah. The, yeah. That's the, that's the soup motion, I think, isn't it? That's oh, how they, yeah. they do soup. You, I, I never did get that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing you mentioned a minute ago that really stuck with me was that you know, people can travel a lot and still be very, you know, they've been to a lot of countries and still be very, ethnocentric. And yeah. I think that's very, very true. Um, very, very true. I think that some of my experiences traveling, especially in international cities, have been very similar. If you want to find, you're going to find a McDonald's, you'll find a group of people, gringos or Americans or expats to hang out with and just you can nod in agreement. Oh, yeah. uh, so it does take a, it does take a trained um, perspective to, to be able to uh, actually have that kind of traveler experience as opposed to a tourist. So my question for you is, what would you tell people uh, who are considering their first trip? Uh, you know, how to pick an itinerary where there's a fantastic amount of things to see and, and experience. 
And I'll add to that, um, you also primarily focus in, in Europe, that's your backyard. Um, why would you maybe recommend that to uh, people from the United States if it's their first time traveling outside of the country? So I spaced out for a minute. The question is, why would I recommend people going to Europe on their first trip? Or more, more of a question. That, that was a leading question because I know that you, you've you talked about it being, you know, the, the short end of the pond or, you know, a, yeah, it's, a it's the track. wading it's, pool. I, I see Europe as the wading pool for world exploration. Yeah, it's, it's, so go there it's, first. Yes. But my favorite country is India in, in Nepal and Sri Lanka and Southeast Asia and Japan. I love traveling there. But in my profession, I've decided I want to be the best in the biggest market, which is the gateway to world exploration. And for most Americans, that would be Europe. So I just focus on Europe. But I'm sorry, Emma, what was the question again? The, the question, which is very circumvental, was that what would you say, because it takes a kind of perspective to become a traveler versus a tourist and to have uh, a, a life-changing experience as opposed to just being at a resort or sticking right. with a, a community that thinks like you do and you know eating American right. food while you're abroad. What um what would you what advice would you give for first-time travelers and also how would you pick an itinerary for them, just some tips, if you will. Yeah. Well first of all, you can travel a lot and just affirm your ethnocentrism. You can hang out with people you want to hang out with. You can go back to the hotel and talk baseball, you know, um, or you can get out of your comfort zone. Uh, I know because after 25 years of leading my, we've got this biggest part of my business is our tour buses and uh, for leading our groups around, I know a lot of Americans are threatened, literally threatened by people who do something different. I mean, when you fill out the, your, your information thing on the little piece of paper at the hotel desk, it says your name and your birthday or the date, let's say it says the date. Um, and a lot of Americans insist on going month, day, year. Christmas is 25, no, yeah. Christmas is 12, 25, 22. Uh, okay, so, and in Europe, of course, it would be little, middle, 12. big, 25, mm -hmm. 12. Now, uh, it, it's, it's more logical to go from little to middle to big. Americans go from middle to little to big. And if they are told to do it the other way, they draw back, they clench their fists and think, we fought and died for your way of life. And I'm not gonna sit here and let you tell me that Christmas is not 12, 25, 22, you see. Uh, so there's that defensiveness. And yes, we're great. Yes, we freed them from Hitler. You know, yes, we beat the Soviet Union in an economic battle of attrition. That's all great and they're thankful for it. But they do like to take a little longer for lunch and eat stinky, expensive cheese. That's just something they like to do. And rather than being threatened by that, we can embrace it. When we go home, we can get back into our rut, but we can embrace it. And something I really am passionate about uh, is traveling as a chameleon, a cultural chameleon. I, it's like I literally physically change from culture to culture. I've never brewed a pot of tea here in this hemisphere. It just doesn't make sense to me. In England, every night I love, after a long day of sightseeing, to have a spot of tea. You know, you've got it right there in your in your bed and breakfast, and it just feels right. Mm -hmm. When I'm in when I'm in the Czech Republic, I've never had a glass of wine. I want the best beer in Europe, that Pilsner in Czech Republic. When I'm in Tuscany, I don't think I've ever had a beer. I want the best Italian wine, and it's going to be Vino Rosso Corposo, full-bodied red wine, because that's what you eat there. A lot of people say chocolate is to die for. You know, that's nonsense, unless you're in Belgium, in which case chocolate is darn good. 
So when I'm in Belgium, I become a connoisseur of those really expensive little gourmet chocolates. Uh, so that just makes your trip go so much better. I was, um, uh, I have a little party every Monday night here that I'm doing during COVID where I invite people and we have a travel thing online. It's called Monday Night Travel. And last night it was France and I was having a pastis. It's that licorice flavored aperitif. And it, it's just like uh, the ouzo in Greece and the rocky in Turkey. And Fernet as I was Argentina. pouring the water yep. in the what? Uh, Fernet in Argentina. Is that right? Okay. And mm -hmm. it's just a beautiful, beautiful drink. But I never crave that here in Seattle. I never come right. home after a long day of work and think, man, I could really go for a nice cloudy glass of ouzo. It just would make, it'd be comical. But when I'm in Greece, I don't let a day go by without setting down in a nice taverna, watching the sunset across the Aegean Sea and sipping my ouzo. It's the right thing to do. So in our travels, we can do that. A lot of Americans, it's a matter of, it's just almost like having the flag on their lapel. I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna have my favorite drink. You know, Well, you don't need to do that. You can try out a different set of cultural clothes while you're there and then go back to your well-worn clothes when you get home, as most of us do. I mean, I do, but it's nice to realize that there are people who get really excited about things that I didn't even know were an option. And I love that. Absolutely. So I have opened the Q&A and we'll be starting on that shortly. I have a, a bit of a rapid fire question round for Rick that he's not aware is coming and just to hear more about what you've experienced and some of your favorites. But if anyone in the audience wants to um, start submitting, I think we have a couple already, but if you wanna start submitting some Q and A's that we can ask Rick live, uh, we'd appreciate it. And I'm gonna go, I'm gonna start with uh, some rapid fire. So I'm sure a lot of people wanna know, you mentioned that India is your favorite country. Let's just go with why, why India? India rearranges my cultural furniture. It um, wallops my ethnocentricity. I thought I was the norm, and then I realized I'm not. I'm a pretty good musician. I love classical music. I used to be a piano teacher. I went to India, and all of a sudden, this music that to me just sounded like chaos, I realized it's sophisticated classical music that has no interest or uh, attention to my Western notion of mode and meter. Mm -hmm. major and minor scales, three, four time, cut time, waltz time, all that doesn't apply to Indian music. It's humbling. And for me, traveling in India like that, oh, it's really, really great. Plus in America, time is money. And yeah. in India, time is just bubble gum. You know, you just play with it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's good. And then I also had, what's your favorite kind, uh, city? And so let's say outside of India, I'm sure, I'm not sure if New Delhi or Mumbai is up there, but let's go outside of. Oh. Outside, my favorite city would be, that's a good question, probably Istanbul. I love Istanbul because okay. it's where the, it's where East meets West, where, mm -hmm. where Islam meets Christendom. For four centuries, it was the leading city in the Christian world. Uh, there's a bridge that goes across the Bosporus, literally connecting Asia and Europe. And uh, it's cheap, it's tasty. Everybody's playing backgammon. Uh, I, I, I love the call to prayer. The call to prayer, this is a cacophony. It's just like a global wave of praise. Uh, you know, a lot of people are shook up about Islam. I love the thought that a billion people pray five times every day. What is, what about um, cuisine? What's your favorite international dish? Mm. Well, well, we let's do both. Let's do cuisine. So, you know, Italian, Japanese, something like that, but then also just like a specific national dish. I think the very, my favorite eating was in Japan. 
Okay. I had a, I had a Japanese girlfriend a long time ago, and I traveled quite a bit in Japan. And every moment, I just wish I had more room in my stomach. I was always <laughs> kind of like a like a dipstick checking to see if I could fit any more food. <laughs> and uh, every every meal was an adventure in Japan. Absolutely loved it. Um, I, I really enjoyed eating in, uh, I love fruit. And when I went to Indonesia, it was just blew my mind that there were so many fruits that I didn't even know exist. Um, but in Europe, where I, it's my beat, uh, it would be Italian food. Italian. Uh, well, Italian and French. I just love Italian. And, and then French. do you have a, a specific like meal that's your go-to? I like a zero kilometer meal. Okay. I like the notion that you can, if a good eater goes to a good restaurant, they can look at the menu and know what month it is and where they are just by what's being served because Europeans are passionate about eating with the season and eating local. A zero kilometer meal means everything from that village. You know, the, the bread yeah. was made right there, the wine, the olive oil, all that stuff. And um, there's something about the terroir. The terroir is a physiological thing. It's the sun and the, and the earth and the, and the water and all that, but it's also a cultural thing to me. It's love, it's sweat, it's passion, it's heritage, it's people. And when you mix that with the sun and the soil, mm, and you get, it's the terroir. And I love nothing more than to drink a bottle of great wine when it's held by a person whose name is on the label, you see. Yeah. And his family has been making that wine. And here I am venturing in from another hemisphere and this hardworking young person is the proud head of this vineyard. And grandma is over there beaming with pride as a traveler from far away is enjoying the fruit of their family's labor. Mm, that's nice. That's, that sounds so cool. Yeah. Um, what about a memorable, let's do a, a funny or memorable experience that you've had. Just one that comes to mind. Funny or memorable. You know, people always ask me what's the funny, not much funny stuff happens to me when I'm traveling. Um, but um, I went to Iran. A lot of the clips we saw in the uh, that little bit I played for you were from Iran. And I had the greatest time traveling in Iran. The friendliest people I've ever met were wow. in Iran. And uh, I just loved going to places that are supposed to be our enemies. Go to Cuba, go to Palestine, go to Iran. And you realize it's just our government that wants them to be our enemies. They don't want to be our enemies. I don't need to be their enemies. And the beautiful thing when we travel, we get to know the enemy and it makes it tougher for their propaganda to dehumanize us. And it makes it tougher for their propaganda to dehumanize or for our propaganda when I get home to dehumanize them. It's a beautiful thing. But I had so many serendipitous moments in, in uh, Iran. I, I mean, I did a whole one hour TV show on it, but we were stuck in a traffic jam in Tehran. There's 12 million people or something like that in Tehran and lots of traffic jams when they cross. There's no lights. There's no red and green lights or, oh, at, wow. in, at intersection. It's just like that. Oh wow! And when people cross the street, there's not much of a sense of crosswalks. You're just out there with the traffic. People call it, they say, I'm going to Chechnya. You know, Chechnya is <laughs> killing fields. So I'm crossing the street I is going now to Chechnya. For our perspective, anyone in Nashville can feel a little bit like more at ease about Nashville traffic when they oh, hear yeah. that story of well, not I mean, even I, having lights. <laughs> yeah, here in my town, mm. it's my personal crusade is just cut out the warnings about crossing the street. I mean, there's yellow paint, there's blinking lights on the stop signs, there's orange flags, there's little voices that come out of the thing, there's signs that say look both ways. <laughs> it's just like, you're supposed to know how to cross the street without somebody telling you look both ways. And in a place like Tehran, people are just 
out there dancing with the vehicles as they cross. And uh, <laughs> But we were stuck in a traffic jam. It was just silent. I'll never forget it. And the man in the next car asked my driver to roll down the window. He handed over a bouquet of flowers. And he said, give this to the foreigner in your back seat and apologize for our traffic. Oh, so sweet. <laughs> is that so beautiful funny. or what? I love it. I just thought, this is Iran. This and that's what you remember over the traffic, I assume, is that, is that kind humanity. <laughs> oh, it's, it's a beautiful thing. But, you know, you get those experiences. I mean, that's why you keep a journal. I just love keeping yep. a journal or writing stuff down. You also mentioned, so I'm trying to be rapid fire, but I'm also, I just want to sit down and, you know, have a cigar with you and talk for like four hours. But uh, you mentioned music. I, I saw that you played the trumpet, obviously beautiful on the piano. I, I was looking on your YouTube page, which I would recommend to any of the, the attendees. But I'm curious, aside from India, which you mentioned, just completely shifted your idea as the best music. Hmm. And dancing. I, I'm going to add I those together. It. Well, the best, maybe the best musical experience I ever had was in Indonesia. Okay. The only time I've ever taken hallucinogenic mushrooms. Oh, okay. Nice. Was, was in uh, Bali. Mm -hmm. And I was in Ubud. And then they had a gamelan orchestra. Do you know what a gamelan is? Is it like the drum lines? It's xylophones, kind of big, oh, okay. big bamboo xylophones. And there was a pagoda-like temple and women with nice long fingernails that quivered and there was dogs gathered around with all the locals and the churning gamelan orchestra and uh and the mushrooms and that was i can't hardly explain how good that was but in europe i think that i love uh, street music buskers and i was researching once in switzerland in uh bern the capital city of bern and i had a big agenda for research but it was the annual European Buskers Festival. The best street musicians in all of Europe gathered there. And it was a three ring circus of music. I mean, it was a 20 ring circus of music. There was probably 20 stations where, you know, people were performing on the streets. And I couldn't get anything done. I mean, there's nobody in the restaurants. I couldn't listen to my, I couldn't hear myself think. And I just thought, well, forget the work, let's just play. And, you know, I paid the 20 bucks and got that little strap on my wrist. And I was uh, in good state with every concert. and for two days, just totally immersed in uh, the craziest, most beautiful street music from Europe. And that was a wonderful, wonderful That's festival. Awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. Uh, I'd love to try to get, I know we have a hard stop, so I'd love to uh, get to some of the audience's questions. A big oh, one yeah. is obviously around uh, COVID. Uh, I saw, I think on your website that you're not having any trips until 2022. I think that the State Department has advised uh, United States citizens to stay at home. However, Europe is opening travel. So a lot of people are curious, um, what do you see the state of travel being? Maybe like within the next um, six months, how would you recommend traveling right now? Safety? Well, sure. Um, first of all, patience is not an American forte. It's no. certainly not a Rick Steves nope. forte. Mm -hmm. And patience has been my middle name through this whole thing. I'm a leader here in my community. I've got 100 employees. Uh, I'm, uh, people ask me what I think about going to Europe and so on. I am just going to stay put until all of Europe is open. It's, it's, I'm not going to just get excited because Croatia and Iceland and, and Cyprus are open. I want to just stay put until it's all open because 
I just don't want any of the emotional chaos and disappointment of things closing down once we thought they were open, of borders being closed, of muse museums and sites not being properly open. You know, social distancing and Rick Steves travel have nothing to do with each other. I don't fly all the way to Europe to eat in a bubble in Amsterdam so I don't get somebody's germs. Right. I want to have my cheeks kissed in Paris. Mm -hmm. I want to pack into those piazzas in Rome with my gelato and many generations out strolling and enjoying the passeggiata. I want to crowd into the pubs of Britain and Ireland uh, and clink glasses with people who really believe that strangers are just friends who've yet to meet. That's the Europe that I go for. That's the Europe I love. That's the Europe I'm committed to sharing in my TV shows and guidebooks and tours. And I firmly believe it's very conservative and realistic to believe that we are on a glide path to normalcy if we can just get our vaccines. And if Europe can get our vaccines, we will have what I think is pretty much normal travel by early 2022. We've not, as you know, I've got 100 guides in Europe. I've got 100 staff here in Seattle. Uh, we've got no way to earn any money until we start traveling again. Right. But I'm, but I'm not chomping at the bit. We're going to yep. take, our, take. We're going to be patient. We're going to be responsible. We're going to celebrate a vaccine passport. This is my passport. This is my international yellow international certificate of vaccination. I'd like to say that yellow international certificate of vaccination because when I was a kid, way, way, way back, I couldn't go to Germany and I couldn't go to Spain without this yellow international certificate of vaccination in this. For polio? For, I don't know what it was, but it was for shots. <laughs> you, had to have, you had to have your shots. Yep. And there was a, several shots you had to have. And I got this particular yellow international certificate of vaccination two years ago to go to Ethiopia. So now Europe is going to have an international certificate of vaccination requirement. This is yeah. my hunch. And that means, I don't know if it's going to be a chip in your passport or something you put on the, on, up in the cloud or just an old fashioned piece of paper that's in your passport. But we have to have some way to prove that we've had our shot because any country that's done its due diligence and has its vaccinations doesn't want to let a person who's going to endanger their people into their country so that's the I, I don't understand why people have politicized this vaccination card frankly because it's nothing new i've had it for for years okay. in my travels yeah um but i think uh, travel is going to be i'm not eager to travel this year i mean i'd love to if i could um, what's, your, what's the first place do you know the first place you'll travel to the first place I'm going to go is probably on one of our Rick Steves tours as a publicity stunt, just to let everybody know, hey, the coast is clear and it's yep. fun over here, and we're going to we're going to enjoy a huge, warm and hearty welcome. You know, we're going to do that. I've got to update my guidebooks. That's going to be a big chore because a lot of little businesses will not have survived this. Yeah. That's my main concern about COVID, or one of my big concerns, Amanda, is that uh, the big companies can even they can more than survive; they can profit off of this difficult time. But it's the little beloved mom and pops, the entrepreneurial ventures, the little cafes and shops and, and guest houses that we just love here in the United States and uh, overseas. That's what makes Rick Steves Europe, Rick Steves Europe to me. And I just hope and pray that they're still going to make it through this because they've got a little ways to go. But they've had good government support. They've had good local support. And as soon as we can get back over there and patronize them, I think they'll be back okay. That's a good point. I love, I love this question. Uh, from Christy from Nolansville, Tennessee. Uh, she is a high school teacher and takes students on overseas tours in the summer. So she's curious how you would talk to a hesitant parent um, with the, the fear mentality, as you described it, uh, to allow their, uh, their teenager to travel internationally. Hmm. Well, that's a tough one. But I would just say, 
cerebrally, logically, statistically, there's never been a safer time to travel than at one shroud of COVID than right now. You know, some people are afraid to fly. 30,000 airplanes take off and land safely every day in the United States of America. Entire years go by where one, you know, where, where, where none of them crash. It's safe. Uh, you're going to Europe. There's 400 million people in Europe. Um, I, I, Europeans laugh out loud when they hear that Americans are staying home for safety reasons. I mean, we lose 15,000 people a year to gun violence on our streets. I mean, I don't, I don't, um, you know, I, I, I just think that we're a free society. We're a well-educated society. We choose to have the right to bear arms and it costs us 15,000 people a year. So be it. If you don't like it, vote it out. But as a society, we vote to keep our guns and we lose 15,000 people a year. In Germany, they vote not to have so many guns and they lose about 200 people a year instead of 15,000. That's a lot of people. And, and uh, I mean, if people knew the, the, the statistics and they cared about their children, they'd, they'd leave this country right away. I mean, uh, Europeans laugh out loud when they hear that Americans are staying home for safety reasons. Um, when somebody tells me have a safe trip, I'm inclined to say, well, you have a safe stay at home because where I'm going statistically is safer than where you're staying. There's no question about it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just, and it's the greatest gift you can give a child. I've just been talking to some of my friends lately. Had we not had the good fortune of parents, humble parents, you know, lower middle-class parents that mm -hmm. scrimped and saved and helped us get over there and have an international experience, we might have been like the so many Americans whose worlds are about this big. Do you want a world that's this big, or do you want a world that's that big? It's a it's a choice you make. Uh, and I just really believe if you care about the future, if you care about peace, if you care about loving your neighbor, you got to get out there and get to know your neighbor. It's just fundamental. The most frightened people on this planet are so afraid because they just don't know who their neighbor is. That's an excellent close. I think that's, <laughs> well, I, I, I that's just a mic so, drop right there, Rick. That's, that's a mic drop. And that's I just love um, a chance to to share my enthusiasm for travel with the World Affairs Council because I've been so inspired by the work of the World Affairs Council, and the World Affairs Council does uh, kind of what I do, but just in the different direction. I'm helping people get out there, and you help, if I understand it correctly, bring cultures in. Having me come and talk, for instance, you know, and that's to me just like the experience of going out. It's the, it's the, the current, the value of travel is people to people. That's what distinguishes a good trip. And I hope that's what we've been doing for this last hour. So, yeah, uh, and I have to, I have to say thank you to the audience, uh, well, as well as you obviously, Eric, but to the audience for attending because they are helping to uh, shift opinions within Tennessee as well. So that's so uh, exciting. Yeah, so exciting. You. Thank you. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing about your 2022 trips and keeping yeah. my eyes on your YouTube channel and really appreciate everyone else. Thank you to the, um, the Philadelphia World Affairs Council for helping us do this and appreciate so much. We do these every Tuesday. Um, so please join us next time. Have a great day. Ciao. Ciao. Aloha. Ha Aloha. <laughs>